This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. If you want to find out more about the show, go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you would like to contact me for any reason, I would love to hear from you. So go to the website and click on the contact icon. If you would like to listen to the show, you can go to the website and click on the archives link at the top of the page. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes, where you can download the show's episodes to your computer, iPhone, iPod, or iPad. Please leave a comment on iTunes and rate five stars if you enjoy the show and show your support. That would be greatly appreciated. If you are traveling and don't have access to iTunes, you can either visit the website or find our podcast on Stitcher.com and listen to us from anywhere around the world. If you want to join the discussions on Facebook and you want to share photos and videos and get involved in the conversation, you can find us under Australian Hunting Podcast. You can also join our Twitter feed at twitter.com forward slash ahpodcast. If you enjoy watching videos, then please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com forward slash Aussie Feral Control. Alternatively, all social media links can be found on the website. If you want to be part of the podcast, then please leave us a voicemail by clicking on the voicemail icon on the right-hand side of the website. This gives you an opportunity to be part of the show and we will play your voicemail messages on the Straight Shooting Podcast. Any businesses wishing to advertise on AHP by running sponsorship advertisements, then please send me an email at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to donate to the show, you can click on the donate button on the website. I appreciate all my dedicated and loyal donating listeners and this show would not have been the same without your support. Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people into hunting, shooting and fishing as you possibly can. That way they can enjoy what we already know and love. My name is Jason Selms and without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Pleasure uh, to have you with us again for another episode of AHP. Uh, Today we're talking to a lawyer that is based in Western Australia who specialises in firearms laws, amongst other things. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about um, cases uh, that Ross deals with. And uh, today we are talking to Ross Williamson, and we do have him on the line. Ross, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. I really do appreciate your time today. 
Well, my pleasure, Jason. No worries. Mate, if I could, could you just tell us... Uh, so before we get into that first off, um, we'll do this at the end as well. Can I just get all your details? If people just have started to listen to this show, they want some... they urgent for some firearms representation uh, because they've fallen foul of the law. Can you give us a phone number, email or website where people would be able to contact you? That'd be great. Yes, well, you can Google me on Ross Williamson or as Firearms Lawyer. My phone number is 0407 426 796 that's 0407 426 796 and uh, my website is firearmslawyer.net.au that's firearmslawyer.net.au perfect thanks for that ross i mean let's get into it then tell us about yourself uh, i guess for people that don't know who you are well uh, i'm a lawyer uh, i've been practicing for over 25 years in perth western australia uh, and um, i'm a keen recreational hunter and shooter have been all my life so very much involved in uh, in firearms and firearms law uh, at all levels, um, from magistrates uh, uh, level to um, appeals tribunal level, up to Supreme Court, District Court. I've even been to the High Court, not on firearms cases. I am a general criminal lawyer. Uh, I do all sorts of criminal work, from parking to murder, but I also do a lot of firearms and weapons-related work and anything to do with uh, the law that affects people who uh, are involved in animals or the outdoors. So that's uh, the Fisheries Act, the Animal Welfare Act, um, uh, laws relating to land clearing, laws that affect farmers. Uh, uh, There are so many laws which affect um, human activity uh, in the outdoors, and I'm involved in any kind of uh, issue uh, like that. Absolutely. We are going to go through that for my listeners listening about, um, which I'm sure Ross would agree, what to say, what not to say, um, if you do fall foul of the law, which can be the difference, as I think Ross would agree, uh, that this could make or break whether you keep or lose your firearms license. So we will get into that a bit later. Um, You said you you do have a firearms license, Uh, Ross. You you hunt, shoot, fish. Tell us what you enjoy. What's your what do you enjoy as you know a lawyer that loves to go hunting, shooting, and maybe some fishing. Well, uh, starting with fishing, I, I like uh, big fish, you know, mackerel uh, yeah. and jewfish. Uh, I've caught a couple of tuna. I'd love to catch a marlin one day. Yes, I've done a, a lot of fishing. I've caught barramundi up north uh, and uh, brim in our freshwater rivers here. Um, uh, hunting, uh, the big thing for me uh, these days is hunting uh, pigs, wild pigs. Uh, I do a lot of hunting. Most of my hunting is from horseback. Oh, really? So uh, I like yeah. to do it uh, uh, the old-style way, and uh, I've also got my own hounds. Uh, really? Hunt, hunt from horseback uh, after wild pigs with dogs. Yeah, any um, uh, uh, shooting disciplines? You don't shoot targets or clay oh, targets yes, or I've, anything? I've, I've uh, been in the state skeet shooting team twice. Wow, good. Okay. That's a long time ago. That's a long time ago. I've, uh, I like shooting clay targets. I don't do it as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us, uh, how, how did you get into working as a lawyer and what sort of basically sparked your interest in getting into that particular profession? Uh, well, it was a long time ago and um, <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time and uh, it has been proven that uh, it was a very good idea at the time. It's a great profession to be in. I enjoy it immensely. Yeah, when dealing with say, say when dealing with clients, I mean, and getting do you do you get? I mean, I presume you would, but do you get um, 
good satisfaction when, say, you know, someone's fallen foul of the law, and at least you get a, a, a really good result. I mean, is that, is, that, is that the benefit? I mean, obviously the money's no doubt pretty good too, but uh, what about just to get, getting great results for clients? Definitely worthwhile? Uh, yes, there's a lot of job satisfaction in it. Yeah. Um, I find that uh, the legal profession uh, has no understanding or knowledge of... Uh, uh, firearms, the use of firearms, or hunting, or the outdoor life generally. They, you know, the judges and magistrates come from a typically urban background. So my job is to explain to people that the fact that, or to explain to courts, magistrates, and tribunals, and judges that even my client having a gun um, does not mean uh, that he's a bad person. Uh, it means uh, that he's different uh, to you, the judge. And uh, I explain that to uh, the courts, and that's usually that's done with great success, and it's very satisfying. Absolutely. Um, so what I'm doing is humanising, yep. humanising um, my clients. Yep, yep, fantastic. I know you said at the start, go through, because people listening to this may not just have an issue with, you know, firearms laws. They may want, you know, uh, to become your client in a different area. So can you go through, again, the uh, areas of the law that you do practice for that you can help out clients with? Uh, well, I act as a general criminal lawyer, so any kind of case which involves uh, the police or any other kind of uh, official who, can, who has the power to prosecute. So, you know, it might be uh, the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, it might, uh, you know, over a white collar crime. I've done those before. Yep. Um, I'm acting right now. I got a phone call last week from someone whose uh, commercial fishing boat was boarded by the fisheries officers. He looks like uh, he needs being caught. That gentleman. Mm. Uh, animal welfare, um, the RSPCA, an organisation that's out of control, I might add, plus the Department of Primary Industries, they will prosecute farmers and other people uh, under the Animal Welfare Act, and I, I, I've had success with that. Yep. Um, uh, Conservation and Land Management Act, uh, people who collect um, uh, flora and fauna uh, can end end up uh, being charged with offences. I've acted for people who have you know, been collecting firewood, things like that. Yes. Uh, it's just an endless, uh, endless um, number of bureaucrats out there who are prepared to prosecute people for um, doing things uh, <laughs> out there. So, uh, and, and often they are wrongly prosecuted. Yeah. And you, and you have a defence. Absolutely. Um, of course, there's a Firearms Act and then there's the Weapons Act. Yep, yep. You know, This goes on and on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I've been following you for quite some time on the Facebook page. You've got quite a number of followers on there on Facebook as well. Um, yep. Why uh, was it because you're, you were into you know, shooting yourself that you thought, oh, well, and I'm a lawyer, I can also represent firearms owners in court proceedings as well? Uh, yes, basically. What happened was that uh, as a young lawyer, I uh, applied for a firearms licence, and uh, um, the police said no, and uh, that made me think, to myself, well, I'll just see if their reasoning uh, fits in with the Firearms Act, and I could see that it didn't. And I thought, to my, and I, and I, wow. I spoke to the relevant bureaucrats and got them to issue me the license without going to court. And then I had a friend who had a, a problem, and uh, I looked up the law and said, "Well, you know, you, you've got the right to appeal against this decision," and we did with success. And it just grew from there. In the old days, I used to issue a um, a hard copy photocopied uh, document called the Firearms Law Newsletter, which uh, I would fold up and put in an envelope and a 
put it in the letterbox and we'd go to every gun shop and uh, uh, gun club in the state. And that was how the word got out. But now, of course, it's all on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's. I wanted to talk about that because I find that very interesting. I'm, obviously, I'm New South Wales. I mean, I wouldn't say our laws were great here by any means, uh, but generally, it's probably. I think it's well known that you know WA has some pretty draconian laws. Um, people being knocked back, massive waiting times. I mean, do you think it's harder in WA laws, and how is it different, you know, from other states? And what's your interpretation, I well, guess, of, of in, firearms? In and, yeah, in different respects. Uh, New South Wales is different from WA. Yep. Um, New South Wales and WA have what seemed to me, and Queensland had the toughest laws. Um, but a lot of um, uh, a lot of the pain that is felt by shooters it doesn't come come from the text of the uh, the acts. It comes from the attitude of the bureaucrats, namely the police. Yep. Uh, but, for example, in New South Wales, a very minor offence will result in an automatic, non-appealable, no right of appeal, 10-year uh, disqualification from holding a firearms licence. We don't have that here in Western Australia. Uh, so, in some respects, New South Wales is tougher. Um, in other respects, it's not. Um, I was going to say, what? how's your feeling in regards to dealing with the police and the relationship, I think, with shooters? Do you say it's a good one or it's a very strained one? What would you say? Oh, well, it's very mixed. Uh, some police officers are shooters themselves and are very sympathetic. Uh, other police officers uh, have never seen a gun unless the, except the one that they've touched in the course of their training, and they're very hostile to private gun ownership. So their attitudes um, fit in. You know, the way they deal with shooters um, is consistent with their experience and their prejudice. Yeah. Uh, we've had some, I've had some, seen some terrible things happen, and I've seen some good things happen. Uh, but what causes a lot of pain uh, are the bad things. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of that going on in Western Australia. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. We're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. If you're heading for the bush this weekend, don't. The SSAA Shot Expo is on with hunting gear from the world's biggest brands, the latest hunting gear and optics from Europe and the USA, and four-wheel drive accessories from Australia. The SSAA Shot Expo. R&A Showgrounds Brisbane, August 22nd and 23rd, supported by Swarovski and Winchester. Book online or pay on the day. Visit shotexpo.com.au. For everything Bushnell, go to Red Fox Outdoor Supplies online store. For a full range of Bushnell rifle scopes, rangefinders, binoculars, night vision, spotting scopes and Hoppies gun cleaning products. Red Fox are also major online retailers for the popular Aussie Maxbox brand and the rest of the innovative products distributed by Eagle Eye Hunting Gear. All at Red Fox Outdoor Supplies. So go to the website redfoxoutdoorsupplies.com.au or phone Greg on 0412-495-712. Do you hunt deer and want to learn the correct techniques for a quality wall mount and premium eating venison? SSAA Sydney Branch provides hunter education courses to help you become a better hunter and to utilise harvested game in the most effective way possible. Course content includes gunning, butchering and caping from experienced hands-on instructors using locally harvested deer. There is no gear required and also includes a barbecue lunch. 
Courses are held every third Sunday of each month with an 8am sign-in for a 9am start. Course running time is approximately 6 hours and the venue is Silverdale Rifle Range. Cost is $50 per person, so call Andy Mallon at Silverdale Rifle Range on 02-4653-1440 or visit www.sydney.net. Let's go into, I think, we'll go into that in the next question, though, but what are the common, you know, people are ringing you up saying, Ross, help, I need your help, uh, represent me. What are the common things generally that you are seeing firearm, uh, firearms owners being charged with? Well, the most common one is safekeeping, uh, typically with cars. Uh, people uh, driving in the countryside, uh, stopping uh, to go into a shop to buy something or go to the pub to get a meal or a drink uh, for a short time, and then the police come along and they see a gun in the car, mm. and then they charge you with failing to provide, to take all reasonable cautions for the safekeeping of the gun. That's a very common one. Yep. Uh, the other one is um, uh, unlicensed guns. People having family heirlooms and there's something, there is a black market out there for guns and uh, you know, people uh, do buy guns and don't bother to go through the licensing and uh, they get caught. That's, that's, um, yep. that's reasonably common. You get farmers who you know, had a gun in the family for you know, three or four generations from the father or grandfather or great-grandfather who brought it, an old 303 or an old handgun as a war souvenir. Uh, that happens. Um, the other thing that's quite common is people shooting uh, in, in a situation where other people, typically neighbours, hear it and go to the police. The police come around. Yep, yep. Not happy with the explanation, so they charge, discharge firearm to cause fear. I've had a few of those recently. Yes, I did see that uh, one on Facebook, but we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, so they're the most common ones, and then you get much more exotic things like breaching conditions of firearm licences and, um, and failing to uh, report uh, your change of address. And, you know, but those ones I've just mentioned, they're by far and away the most common. Yeah. It just seems like, do you, do you feel this way? Because I know I do here in New South Wales, there is basically a myriad of ways that people can lose their firearms license and it's like where i'm made to feel i guess like a criminal and i'm in i'm a criminal in the waiting until i do something wrong i mean or like say leaving you know police come around to your house to check out your safe storage and they see a 22 bullet on the ground like in other countries around the world you know this is not an issue new zealand canada usa etc um, they can travel in a car with you know firearms with ammunition right next to the firearm not an issue um, but yet yeah, you know, we can be screwed into the ground hard because of just you know an oversight. Uh, yes, um, I take the view that um, you're doing pretty well if you don't break the law at some stage, <laughs> uh, yeah. because it's just impossible to comply. I mean, a very common uh, breach of the Firearms Act here is um, people using their mate's gun when they're out on a hunting trip. Uh, the police will tell you that if you can let your mate use your licensed gun if you supervise, but that's not true. Um, mm. The law doesn't allow that. It does allow it if the person is under 18, but not if the person's an adult. Uh, and I mean, Who's going to put their hand up and say they've never been involved in that sort of activity? It's yeah. just impossible, and so you've got to be very vigilant. Yep. Exactly. What What are some of the things, I know we spoke about a little bit earlier, but what are some of the things you've seen, like, well, that's a perfect example that you would think, like, are, are pretty much 
ridiculous. In, in other words, what you just spoke about. Is there any more like that that just that you can think off the top of your head that you just think, what were they thinking when they literally wrote this piece of legislation? Uh, well, the legislation is not the problem uh, as much as the interpretation of it. And this is particularly when it uh, comes to the safekeeping laws. And you've got police who... I had one fellow recently charged with uh, failing to provide for the safekeeping of his firearm. Uh, they stopped him uh, for, a, for a speeding, a traffic matter, and, um, and they saw a gun in the car. And because it was visible, once they stood next to the car, they charged him. <sighs> And then there's no way in the world that was going to stick. And, uh, you know, the day before the trial, they dropped the charge. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, everyone's around saying, oh, you know, aren't our laws tough? But it's, that's not the law. That's the attitude of the police. It's a big yes. difference. Do you think police have too much say in, um, I guess, their, their interpretation? We see in New South Wales, they seem to want to consult the police on, uh, on a quite a lot of issues regarding the firearms, which is community safety, which, are, you know, makes sense. Um, but, you know, isn't their job to, I guess, enforce the law, not trying to change the law? Well, that's right, and the, but, but uh, the problem is that their interpretation is wrong, and that's why we have courts, of course. The fact yeah. that a policeman charges you with an offence does not mean that you're guilty. Uh, it's merely a complaint. It's an allegation, and it has to be proven uh, by a magistrate who's actually got the law in front of him or herself. So um, this is something that people really need to understand, and uh, that... Just because you've been charged with failing to provide for the safekeeping of a firearm while you're driving through a country town doesn't mean you're guilty. And I do see a lot of people not getting legal advice, filling out the back of the summons saying, I plead guilty, and then getting a terrible shock when they get um, a penalty in the mail, which is far too harsh. And, and they shouldn't have pleaded guilty in the first place. Yep, absolutely. We will get into that. I think that's going to be very, very important. Uh, for the listeners, I wanted to, when your like, people are calling you, uh, they need your representation, uh, what, I mean, just a rough percentage do you find, I mean, is, is generally the A, legitimate, or at least you're going to be able to get a great result uh, for your client? Because, I mean, are you seeing you know, like 50% is unwarranted from police? What are you generally seeing during your representations? Uh, well, generally I tell people they should plead not guilty when they have got a, a good defence and you know usually last 12 months I've had a I think I've lost one out of a not guilty when we've had a, when we've had a trial uh, otherwise we plead guilty and just argue about penalty and um, always when you explain to a magistrate um, you know the circumstances that you know there's a difference between a 308 and a, and a, and a, and a 22 and they've, you know, they've got no idea of, of, of that sort of thing when you explain to someone that, uh, to the magistrate that um, you know it's a single shot rifle and uh, therefore it's um, you know it's not such a big deal, um, or that you know I had I was in front of a tribunal the other day uh, where a client was found, um, well, his vehicle was found with two packets of 22 ammunition, and uh, this magistrate was just absolutely gobsmacked that he could have a hundred rounds of ammunition. He just thought it sounded like you know World War Three. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to explain these things to people. If you don't, the client gets a greater penalty. So, you know, I do take the view that by explaining these things, you do get a better outcome. Yeah. So it's more about, like, without your basically mitigating the damage with your representation, correct? Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Yeah, no, fantastic. All right, I wanted to spend uh, a bit of time, Ross, uh, going through, because this is always a very interesting part. I know when I've done these uh, type of podcasts before, 
I walk away, my head's sort of spinning with the sometimes the outrageousness of, of the police and charging people, sometimes obviously warranted and legitimate. Um, can we go through, say, four or five, I mean, over the next, say, 15 to 20 minutes, say, uh, on some cases you've dealt with over you know, the last you know, three, four, five years, um, what the issues were and what the outcomes were for your clients and how you were able to help them, I guess, either mitigate the damage or completely remove them from the charges uh, being laid. Can you go through some? It'd be great. Uh, well, uh, recently I uh, represented a fellow who uh, quite unknowingly was in breach of a uh, of a law which says that you cannot export a firearm accessory without uh, the Defence Department's permission. And he was exporting uh, to his homeland uh, some telescopic sights for his licensed rifles overseas uh, and um, there's this bizarre law which says that uh, a firearm accessory cannot be exported without um, you know, this necessary paperwork being done. Now this fellow, he uh, put the scopes through the security system at the airport so there's no attempt to hide them and uh, they went through the screen, uh, you know, through that x-ray machine and uh, no one complained. He presented them to the GST refund counter that they have when you go overseas. Yep. So they can get your GST back. He presented the receipts and uh, actually presented one of the scopes uh, at the counter. Absolutely no attempt to hide what he was doing. As he's about to get on the plane, um, he's talking to a customs officer who asked to have a look inside um, uh, his, his carry-on luggage and um, he ends up getting prosecuted for, this, uh, for these scopes, you know, yeah, despite right. him doing... You know, making no attempt to hide what he was doing. You'd think in that situation, the customs service would say, okay, well, just don't do it again. Yep. Let it go. But they didn't. They prosecuted him. Uh, they got two lawyers involved at, at pub, you know, the taxpayer's expense. My client's got no, no record, no, nothing to indicate that, it, uh, that he's a target of any sort. And um, we fought tooth and nail, spent a day in court arguing whether he should be. Uh, uh, whether the conviction should be um, not recorded uh, on the grounds that it was trivial. Uh, the other side, the Commonwealth government, argued that it was serious. I said it was trivial, and no conviction should be recorded. What exporting a um, like a little telescopic site out of the country? Yeah. I mean, you can bring him in no problem, though, can't yeah, you? You can bring him in no problem. I explained <laughs> that. Uh, I explained that, and I also explained that no one knows about this law, and um, the magistrate accepted my argument. Um, but, you know, you would think that um, it was a murder case, the amount of effort that was put into it by the customer. I mean, what, did you, what do you think the expenditure was on, on, the, on the side of the government trying to pr- prosecute such a, a ridiculous, small issue, really, when he made no attempt to hide the issue? Tens of thousands. Wow. If not hundreds. I mean, they were just, just completely out of control. Anything to do with the Commonwealth, you know, whether it be tax or any of those um, Commonwealth organisations. But customs, I've fought customs several times. They're completely strange people. They know they have very strange laws, <laughs> and dealing with them is extremely unpleasant. They must know Ross Williamson's name now, correct? Yeah, yeah, they know me, yeah. <laughs> so what was, getting back onto the client, what was, um, I mean, uh, at the end, what, what was the outcome uh, beneficial for the outcome for the client? What happened with the client and what happened with the case? He ended up with no conviction. Even though he pleaded guilty and was guilty, um, there's a provision of the Act which allows no conviction to be recorded 
which means that um, the court just takes the view that this is just so pathetic that we won't damage the guy's um, you know, reputation by recording a conviction. Uh, so we got that result, and it's very, very hard to get that. Very hard to get that uh, yeah. with a Commonwealth offence, especially if it involves exporting or importing. Yeah. Um, but in, you know, this was an exceptional case, and I, I spent half a day in the court arguing on my feet that it was trivial and therefore exceptional and therefore justified. Um, I mean, what did you think the judge... Do you, do you think they thought it was... I mean, just from, obviously, looks and... And the behaviour of, say, the judge, did it feel like this? I mean, even they knew this was completely trivial and, trivial and ridiculous? Yep. In that case, yes. Yep. Definitely. He definitely he accepted my argument. He wouldn't have given me the order that I was seeking unless he accepted my argument. And he had, he took a few days, uh, he adjourned for about a week to um, consider his position, but all he was doing was, in my opinion, um, putting it down in writing so that it was clear, so that his reasoning was clear in case the other side wanted to appeal. But he accepted absolutely everything I said. And my first and primary point was that this was trivial. Yep. And it was. It's amazing how we can bring him into the country, but yet, heaven forbid, he wants to export him to his homeland. He all of a sudden you know, spend tens of thousands of dollars um, to, to prosecute such a ridiculous case. Yep, but as I say, that's the nature of customs. They've been like that for decades. They're very <laughs> hard to deal with. I, they live in a parallel universe. <laughs> I can imagine that was that was pretty rewarding, not only for yourself, but I'm sure the client was was just uh, chuffed at uh, your result. There, I can imagine. No, yeah, he was very happy. Yeah, I mean, we got exactly what we were uh, going for. It was good. Yep. Speaking of uh, that too, if he does, he obviously now he's got no uh, criminal conviction, wasn't recorded, therefore he's now able to get uh, reapply for his firearms license again, or at least get it unsuspended, or whatever the case was over there. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. No effect whatsoever on his firearms office. That's good, yeah. Excellent. Well, at least, yeah, that's a good... Anyone listening to the show, if you're in, you know, Australia, don't export things. Make sure you've got your correct paperwork. So you've just... Yeah, um, firearm accessory. What, does that include a sling? Good question. What about, uh, you know, the sock that you put over the uh, the stock with, uh, you know, the loots for rounds of ammo? I mean... Wow. Yeah, uh, it's just ridiculous. You wonder where common sense, Ross, comes into play here. Surely, I mean, even me as a firearms owner, I would think this was just way over the top. Why would you spend tens of thousands of our dollars on such a ridiculous case? Just mind boggles me. Yeah, well, it does. It's terrible. And uh, people really suffer. They uh, Typically, my clients have never been in trouble with the law. Uh, and uh, when they get... Um, charged with an offence it's uh, a huge event for them uh, and um, they and their families really suffer. Yeah, absolutely um, are judges in WA before we get on one of your next cases, in judges in WA, I mean and around Australia but my, you obviously practicing mainly in WA um, yeah. are they generally you know, do they generally award costs, was any costs awarded in that case or that was more uh, Yeah, in a magistrate's uh, trial before a magistrate if you win uh, you will uh, get a cost order against the uh, other side, which takes a lot of pain out of it. It means that uh, the client's legal fees are paid. Yeah. Yep. But not in a serious... Not when it gets more, uh, into the higher-level courts, the district court, Supreme Court. Uh, if you're charged with an offence in those courts, and you, know, and you can be charged with a firearms offence in the district court if you are caught with three or more... Uh, firearms without a licence, you'll end up in front of a judge. And it's, 
gets really serious then because judges are very used to jailing people. Uh, Not good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, and even if you go for a trial and you win the trial, uh, there's no cost order. Mm. Yeah, so it's pretty tough out there. can imagine. All right, next case um, that you've dealt with, uh, Ross. Well, I acted for, for a sheep farmer recently. Uh, he was charged under the Animal Welfare Act uh, with failing to um, properly care for a sheep which had broken its leg. He used a time-honoured method of splinting it with um, uh, lots and lots and lots of uh, gaffer tape. And it's worked before, and uh, it would have worked in this case, but um, the sheep was found by... Um, Primary uh, Department of uh, Primary Industries um, person before it had time to heal and he wasn't happy with it or uh, his vet wasn't happy with it so he was charged with failing to, pre- to, to um, reduce the um, pain that this sheep suffered. They were alleging at first that he should have shot it um, or should have um, got a vet to, to deal with this sheep. It was a lamb um, which was clearly absurd, and uh, the magistrate had no difficulty accepting that um, what my client did was more than reasonable, and we did get costs on that one. Wow. Um, I got wow. another guy recently who was on a hunting trip uh, with his with one other guy, and um, he was in this cottage on... Ah, yes, I think I read this one on your Facebook page. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, the police knock on the door and um, see the guns, which had been unpacked that, that afternoon, and the, the cops went around about midnight or something, and yep. uh, they see the guns um, you know, out of a cabinet, naturally, and um, they charge him with failing to provide for the safekeeping of firearm. You know, we won that one on the grounds that uh, when you're hunting, you don't have guns in storage. They're effectively uh, you know, in a situation of being carried and used. And uh, the, the metal cabinet requirement doesn't apply. So we yep. won that one. We got yep. cost on that one as well. Yeah, I find that interesting. Going into that, Ross, I know this happens to me in New South Wales. I often head down uh, to the Riverina here, southern New South Wales from Sydney. And sometimes we stay down hunting ducks on the on the rice fields of the Riverina for two weeks. I mean, where where am I going to, to store a firearm? I have to keep that firearm either in my vehicle locked and secured or with me in the house after I get back from a hunt. There's no, there's no other option for me. I, I can't put it anywhere else. So when you're on a hunt like that, did the judge in that situation go, yeah, this is, again, completely ridiculous and, and stupid? <laughs> Yes, yes, and the law the law has no difficulty with your, the situation that you you describe. It's just that the police don't understand that. Mm, mm. The law makes a distinction between uh, storing and uh, carrying, but the police, as I say, they don't seem to be able to read these sections. Yeah, but when does common sense come in? When does common sense come into? I mean, these are people that have studied. They're supposed to uphold the law and have. I would say generally be pretty switched on type people. How can you make that sort of error? Going well, they're in a cottage. They're hunting probably away from their properties. Where are these people going to store? And this should have been a simple, you know, guys put them in their cases. Have a great, you know, thumbs up and see you later. You know. Well, I think you're dreaming if you think that every police officer <laughs> at all times is going to be. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's going to be able to understand uh, the firearms laws. No way in the world. Now, these guys are young guys, and the, uh, these cops, and um, I, yeah. think, uh, I think they learned a lesson. 
Yeah, exactly. Any more interesting ones that you've dealt with that you think are, are good uh, to well, tell us? Well, I do get people shooting guns um, to the annoyance of neighbours who run off to the police. I had an elderly gentleman in a country town here in Western Australia shooting a parrot, or at a parrot, uh, I don't think he got it, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, in a tree in his backyard in a very small country town, and he was charged with discharge firearm to cause fear. Um, we won that one. But generally, I advise against against shooting in country towns. Yeah, what was the what was the pol- I mean, what was the police's position? There? What causing fear? I mean, who? How- no, it's causing danger. Uh, it's causing danger, actually. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, the police position was that if you fire a shot uh, in the circumstances of this case, you know, you're yeah. going to cause danger. Well, it just turned out that the evidence that they produced, well, they produced no evidence on the danger point. And, our argument was that you know, we were shooting away from people, and uh, there was no way that any da- danger could have occurred. So, yeah, it all, every case is different, and uh, that one was worth fighting. But you know, you've got to be careful about where you're shooting if you're shooting in a built-up area. Absolutely, I've got. To, I wanted to go on to. We'll get sort of talk about some cases, Ross. I know uh, I get emails all the time. This is a very, very important one. I'd like to get your take on it if I could. Uh, AVOs that they're caught here in New South Wales apprehended violence order. A mm. lot of shooters. Um, you know, there seems to be a, a man-hating thing going on at the moment, especially when people are in relationships. Relationships don't work out. Um, what should somebody do? And have you dealt with any cases where um, people are afraid to leave, maybe the relationship's over, um, they know the wife may go to the police? Um, what should they do in this situation to um, you know, protect themselves from having an AVO slapped on them by the police or the disgruntled wife or disgruntled mother-in-law, whoever it may be, how best should they tackle this issue? You mean before it happens? I'd say, but yeah, before before, and have you had any cases where you've had to deal in that sort of area of apprehension? Oh, yeah, 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 it's a, it's a big part of my practice. Um, yep. There's nothing you can do to stop someone making a false complaint. Nothing you can do. Uh for some reason, some shooters seem to think that uh, one way of dealing with it is to, you know, give up your gun license. But uh, I don't see that. That's 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 achieving the result that's being sought in the first place. So all you can do is fight it when it when it uh, when the order, the interim order here, uh, there's a two-stage process. The um, uh, the so-called protected person goes to court. Um, without notice to the shooter uh, and gives evidence without being cross-examined because it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's without notice to the shooter, so the shooter's not there to cross-examine. And uh, often the order is made, it's called an interim order, and then the court will tell the shooter that uh, he has the right to object, and of course you do object. Absolutely. And... Uh, and then you have a, and then you have a trial about whether these allegations are true. Um, and obviously, you'd recommend, like I always tell people, Ross, uh, if you're in this issue, do not threaten anybody. Do not threaten, especially, do not threaten anyone uh, on email, text message, in front of other people. Sometimes you just got to turn your back, don't you? And you just got to let things ride. And as I said, your firearms license is literally riding on. You not being caught up in any aggressive, you know, attitudes or anything mm. like that is very important. Absolutely, over here, any sign of aggression is the end of your firearms license. End of story. Yeah, very, very important. And um, I'm amazed by people who 
say to me, you know, that they have said these threatening words, but you know they didn't mean it, and um, and uh, why can't I have my gun license back? Well, the tribunal that makes those decisions here is not going to give it uh, give you a gun license if you have made threats, particularly threats of violence. You know, you know well, any kind of it doesn't have to be with a gun. You know, any kind of threat of and physical harm, that's, that's the end of it. It's all over Red Rover yep. in this day and age. Any other uh, ones that stick out in your mind, cases you've dealt with that you know, have been, had a great result or at least a, a mitigated result by having you represent them? Anything that pops up on your top of your, top of your head? Well, I did a few years ago, I did a big jury trial uh, in a country town called Carnarvon here in WA where a client um, woke up in the morning uh, to the sound of um, his outboard motor um, being thrashed uh, in the river, in the Gascoigne River, and um, and he goes down to investigate and sees a group of um, people um, who have obviously stolen it and uh, joyriding in it. <laughs> and right, so yeah. then he, um, in a moment of rage, goes and gets um, a twenty-two and brings it, and confronts these people and ends up shooting, uh, well, there's, a, there's a, almost a, a battle where he, um, they're throwing bottles at him and he's, he's sort of firing shots to yeah. break the bottles as, he's hold, as they are holding them in their hands. That's literally what happened. Wow. A flagon of wine, um, full flagon, was in this guy's hand. He was about to throw it at my client. My client shot it out of his hand. And we had a big jury trial about um, that. And uh, I argued in front of a Carnarvon jury, which I think was quite sympathetic to his um, attempts to um, retrieve his property. I argued that uh, he was acting in self-defence and he was found not guilty. But it was a very painful, long drawn out and expensive experience for my client. Good result. Uh, but I always, I do advise people do not uh, go shooting at or near people. What about that? I'd like to go into that too. Any other one, especially I'm, I'm pretty passionate. I know in this country, I'm, I've seen people posting on your page, especially as well, um, about self-defence and that. Any other cases uh, that you can think of that you've had to represent? You know, a client where you know they've got another one that got their firearms out of their safe in self-defence oh, yeah. and what the outcome was. Any anyone specifically that comes to mind that you think would be great to to discuss or, or talk well, about? Well, there was one guy in Laverton years back he um, was in the hotel some dispute arose uh, the locals or a, a, a mob basically gathered outside this place where he was which was the, not the hotel the motel yep. and um, the mob was very unhappy with um, my two clients actually they were very unhappy and uh, threatening making all sorts of threats to kill uh, and uh, they were they were basically a drunken mob and they had they did have cans and bottles, and I was throwing, throwing them over the fence, threatening to kill my client and others in, in the motel. Uh, and, and my client fired a shotgun in the air to disperse them, and he was charged over that and found, and found not guilty. Mm. Uh, so that was a good result. I've had people point guns at people uh, in self-defence, and, uh, you know... Sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. It's all a matter of whether it's reasonable force or not. Mm. It depends on the gravity of the threat. It's interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. I find, well, if someone is threatening you, I thought that would be, that would be reasonable in that case. Well, I what guess, are they depends. threatening you with? Is it a five-year-old child with a grape 
second throw a great at you, <laughs> or yeah. is it a you know six foot six, uh, hundred and twenty kilo bearded drunk man uh, armed with a uh, baseball bat? You know, it's a big difference. So the court does not say that if you've got a gun, you cannot uh, defend yourself. It does not say that. It says that you can act what is in a manner which is reasonable in the circumstances. So yeah. every case is different. I wanted to, maybe we'll talk about, just go with two more, Ross, if I can. Mainly, I wanted to talk to ones, obviously, this would be probably pretty big you'd be dealing with on a regular basis. What about home storage, where, you know, someone's come home, or the police have come over for a check, maybe there wasn't, you know, there was, the door was open, or there was ammunition yeah. on the ground, any of those type of cases where you... Yeah, that's a you, huge problem, police <laughs> coming to the door, yeah. uh, uh, recent case. Hang on, but Ross, but one question before I go in. I wanted you also to tackle with that as well. I get people all the time where police, I know in New South Wales, I think it's Section 18.1 or Section 18.2 of the Act where police must call. Can you also discuss after telling us the story whether if police just turn up at people's houses and say, hey, I'm coming in now, we're in the area, we're going to do the random check, what the law states whether people have to uh, allow the police in. But sorry, go ahead. Well, yes, this farmer, the police, come to his place and they find ammunition, uh, a few rounds of ammunition you know, in cupboards and uh, you know, drawers in, at the off, in the office uh, study in his house um, and uh, a couple of packets of ammo in the farm ute and a few rounds in the gun cabinet where the guns uh, are, so not in the separate um, ammo compartment of the, uh, of the yeah, cabinet. Yeah, gotcha. Everything, oh, I'm going to say, 99.9% of farms, if you went round there now, they'd had the same situation. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he was charged with oh, uh, 11 counts of failing to provide for the safekeeping of firearms and ammunition. He had an, un- I'm sorry, he had an air rifle out of the cabinet, an air rifle that didn't work, big deal. Uh, anyway, the magistrate was quite relaxed about it and gave him a small fine, but the police took the view that he was now unfit to have a firearms licence. We appeal to the uh, body here that deals with those appeals. Uh, it's not a court, it's called the State Administrative Tribunal, which is a bunch of lawyers, but lawyers with no, no experience of um, legal practice in the country, and they're, they're very much typically city people. They have no understanding whatsoever of uh, conditions on farms and conditions on hunting trips, no understanding of firearm ownership and seems to me that um, they find it totally alien, if not frightening. And um, I tried to explain that uh, these offences were minor, but um, <laughs> this um, member of the tribunal said, oh, no, 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 they are serious. An absurd thing to say. And as a result of that, um, he didn't get his licence back. So, you know, this business of having gun, uh, guns and ammunition outside, particularly ammo, not stored properly in vehicles, yeah, in the kitchen cupboards and all that. It's a real problem if the police get hold of it and they uh, decide to pursue it. It's a real, 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 real problem. Um, it has sort of become the case that the courts, or some courts, certainly this tribunal I'm talking about, see ammunition in the same light as drugs. They, they see it as inherently, you know, a round of ammunition is like an ounce of drug, illegal substance, and um, it's very hard yep. to shift them from that mindset. My advice is, store your ammo properly and uh, go through the pain and agony of um, taking it out of the vehicle. It only happens once in a you know, 10,000 times. I mean, 
if you just if you're one of those unlucky people, mm, just a- uh, you're in trouble. But if you're not caught, there's no problem. <laughs> Very good point. Talking about uh, getting back to the last part about um, I know it happens. Yeah, it happens here. People coming onto your property, they walk on, they say, oh, well, you know, we're going to search a car or uh, while we're here, hey, listen, we're, we're, we're in the street, uh, we're doing random checks, we're just in the street, we want to come in and um, just check out that safe storage. What are your legal obligations? Well, they have no right to just walk in. They have the right to ask and you have the right to permit them to enter. But they, they, they don't have the right to come in against your will in the situation that you described. What the obligation on the police, if they do want to come in, is that they must make a request, this is in Western Australia, a request in writing for access to the gun cabinets to, uh, for the purpose of inspecting those gun cabinets and then they, they've got to give you a reasonable time to uh, comply with that request. Okay, so um, that's the law. Now, there's nothing to stop people saying uh, that they don't want to enforce that. You know, uh, if the police knock on your door and and you're happy for them to come in, you can let them in. There's no problem. And they're not breaking any law because if they're asking, they're like you and me, if you let, let someone in, doesn't matter whether it's a policeman or not, um, that person is not a trespasser. Um, so what you do get, though, and I've had it here, is pe- the police using uh, the um, so-called power to inspect a um, gun cabinet as a ruse to, to get around the requirement for a search warrant. So they, they'll come in and then they'll start looking around at other things, not just the gun cabinet. That's illegal. I have I have heard of that sort of thing. Um, I know you were uh, a w, uh, when applying for a permit to acquire. Obviously, very similar, I would presume, to here over to New South Wales. Uh, sometimes the the firearms registry, God bless their lovely souls, complete waste mm-hmm. of money. But anyway, um, uh, knocking people back, uh, saying having certain subsequent calibers of firearms, um, and you have to put a reason there. How can you help clients? Uh, when they're putting in this paperwork, so their words they're putting down aren't used against them and they can get access to the firearms under the legitimate licence they have. Yes, well, what I do is make sure that the words used satisfy the criteria in the Act. It's a very technical part of the Firearms Act. I mean, a lot of shooters get by doing it themselves, but once you get into your third, fourth firearm, the police are going to put your application under a microscope and they are going to look for things... In what you say uh, to use against you. So, you know, I, the form the forms here are a bit misleading in the way they ask questions, and they sort of trick people. I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but it's very easy to answer the question in a way which um, creates problems for you for you later on down the track. So, what all I do is make sure that um, what you say satisfies the law. And normally you don't get any rejections, correct? <laughs> I assume there wouldn't be very limited if there was any. <laughs> uh, I've had some good results lately. I've got a few that where we've written to them and uh, they said, yeah, okay, well, what about this then? So, you know, it's a case of watch this, watch this space. I do get the impression that sometimes if you just um, you know, give them a piece of paper, that, you know, they're happy with it. What, uh, what about people saying licenses? You know, they've fallen fa- foul of the law before, um, whether it be that AVO or a firearm offence, say, years ago. Can you represent those clients too and find out and advocate on their behalf if they were to apply for a, a firearms licence and not sure if they satisfy the criteria? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's, that's basically one of the things that I do. I get a lot of people ring saying, look, I've got um, a record or something a few years back. Am I going to get my licence? So I can't answer that question. I say, put the application in. And if they say no, come to me then. 
Um, you've got to disclose <laughs> your record. I've had people fail to disclose their criminal records, and then you get into trouble because that's an offence, misleading the um, police. Um, so you, I just say to people, you know, disclose your record, and if they say no, we'll look at an appeal. Very interesting. I wanted to tackle this next question because I find this is can really, and we spoke about this a little bit at the start, people, let's say police have come into a house, there's that bit of ammunition on the, on, on the, uh, on the ground, they've say, seized firearms, you're down at the station, and they just say, oh, you know, just come in and we'll give you this interview, we'll have you out of here, quick, smart, you know, we're looking after your welfare, you know, we're the best, we're great. And uh, we're trying to help you. What should people do in, in a case uh, of being asked those questions, either being charged or being asked to record an interview, do a statement? What is pertinent and absolutely mandatory that people must do in this situation? Well, when in doubt, don't, don't uh, give an interview and only give an interview after you've got legal advice. So what you should... Police here are under an obligation to say, you have the right to speak to a lawyer. And you should say, okay, well, I will. Thank you very much. I mean, if you get through to me and I'm able to answer the phone, that's good. But if you can't, you say, look, I'll talk. I'll, I'll, I'll consider this um, interview idea uh, after I've got proper legal advice. Thank you very much. And the police will say, okay. The police do you say, often okay. then, um, like when people uh, have, they've still wanted to do an interview, you, you could you uh, advocate them and be there during the interview? That's generally not what happens if they want an interview, if it needs to happen, or is it generally they just say, listen, this is what's happened and we're laying charges and this is what you've been charged with, see you in court? What generally happens? Well, what generally happens, well, what frequently happens is that I advise people not to give an interview, but I just had a client who, after a long talk, um, he decided to give an interview um, and he... I haven't seen it yet, but um, every case is different. It's impossible to have a, uh, a fixed formula. Uh, so, you, really, you know, as a lawyer, I take instructions on, you know, the allegation and take instructions on what sort of outcome the client is looking for, try and talk to the police as well, and, uh, and we just go from there. Uh, but usually it's best not to give an interview. I've just spent all day in court yesterday for a client who did give an interview, spent the whole day trying to get the interview thrown out of evidence. So um, so what would your advice to be? Does it don't do it? Speak yeah, my to advice, you. general advice is don't do it. Um, let's say that, going on to the second part, I guess, of the question, people saying, you know, just sign here, it's only a small charge and it won't maybe, you know, maybe they're not, I'm not saying police uh, don't act in the interests of the public sometimes, but let's say they said, oh, you know, it's only a small charge, it's not going to inhibit you, you know, keeping your firearms licence. Don't listen to them. That's right. Speak to my one of my most recent clients who filled out the form. I plead guilty, and gets a phone call from the police saying, "I need to come and this is over some ammunition in a car, yeah, nothing, nothing big." And then the police are knocking on his door saying, "We've come around to pick up your guns because the penalty that you got was a lifetime disqualification from holding a firearms license." Wow, wow. And is there anything you uh, tell us about that one? Anything you can do in that situation, or no? Yeah, we done have to and appeal. Mm. We have to lodge an appeal. That that has that been finished or no? You still going no, through no, the process? No, 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 just 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 minutes. I mean, you know, minutes ago. Um, but yeah, that's what you do. You know, I mean, the, the court, the magistrate's court has made a decision. We're not happy with it, so we have to go to the Supreme Court and appeal. Just looking at it, how are you feeling about the situation? Obviously, we don't want to mention one's name. Obviously, how how does it look? You think you got a good chance? You're fifty-fifty. Yeah, got a good chance there. Okay, a lifetime's oh, a long time. 
<laughs> what, what's he going to do with his life? He can't hunt and shoot. This is, you know, this yeah. is exciting stuff. Maybe send him to jail, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wanted to talk about, even though this might, might come up a case, it's just I need at least one or two because I think, you know, something that might, it's funny, but it's not funny. I know um, where police, you know, you don't think have acted within the law and the the penalty they've tried to place on your client, I mean, was totally ridiculous, wrong, uh, shouldn't have gone to court, laughable, really. I know you just mentioned one at first at the start, but anything you can think of just off the top of your head, but you all thought this is not not even in the in the same realm of uh, earth. Yeah, it was so ridiculous. Well, I thought stopping the guy while he's driving along public road and noticing that he's got a gun in the car and then charging him with failing to provide for the safekeeping because you know he didn't cover it with a blanket. I thought that was pretty ridiculous. I have had one guy charged over a single twenty-two round uh, on the mantelpiece. And what happens uh, is the, if the police are at war with someone, a client or a person who becomes a client, um, over some other issue, you know, the typical country town sort of squabble, uh, the police have got so much that they can use in the Firearms Act to harass somebody. You know, oh, I've heard that. Yeah, it's, uh, you yeah. know, every car's got some loose rounds in it. Every house has got some loose rounds in it. Um, yeah, but you sound like a realist too, like, you know, these things are going to happen. And I mean, why doesn't, you know, I mean, and no doubt it probably does happen. You get, you know, a decent police officer on a decent day saying, listen, mate, you know, you need to store that away. Can you just store that? And, and it's all done and dusted. And it doesn't have to be dragged through courts and either, you know, the client losing reputation, losing firearms, costing them, you know, quite mm. a lot of money, which is the major killer in these situations, trying to hold on to your firearms license if you really value, your, you know, your hunting and your shooting. Well, I'm sure that does happen, but of course those people don't come to me because they don't end up with a problem. <laughs> true, true. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that happens, but I can, you know, I can certainly tell you about what I've seen happen as well. Yeah, I've got a kangaroo shooter, actually, who's just been charged with... Well, he hasn't been charged, but he's, they took his gun and they said they were going to charge him. You know, he's driving in a country town, stops, leaves the gun in, in the land cruiser, um, hidden, goes into the pub to meet somebody, I think. Cops can see the spotlight on the cabin. Asking if there's a gun in the car, he says yes, and um, they take it. What do you think about that guy? Any what's your chances? You think just looking at it? Good, should win that one. Mm, I love when. I mean, as I said, people have got to also to understand, Ross. I think that you know they they've got to take precautions. I mean, you know, I'm very strict about that, especially running this show. I know, and I go with with hunters, you know, and. I tell them, yes, and I don't, I don't, you know, when a public row, I, I don't want, you know, things loaded. I don't, you know, mm. um, and some people have said to me before, oh, you know, you're being a bit of a stickler. You know, I said, no, I'm not. I, I don't, I, I don't want that this this stuff around me. You know, I, you know, do this show, and I don't want to be dragged into any legal stuff. You know, I know it's a burden, I know it's a hassle, but you know, some people also too bring it on themselves. You need, you know, you, people think they're not going to get caught, or it's just an oversight. You need to be vigilant at all times. I think you'd agree. Well, I advise people when they're travelling, never leave the gun unattended. While you've got sight of your gun or the car which has got your gun in it, I don't think there's any way that they could win it, that they have any argument at all. It's when you turn your back and go into a building and have a meal or have a chat or a cup of coffee, that's when there's, there's room for an argument. So, I mean, I always travel with someone. I always say, you know, you go and, you know, get the supplies at the, at the bottle shop or at uh, the supermarket, I'll wait here, or vice versa. Or I park the car so that I can see it at all times. So if there's a cop there waiting, you know, because you can tell my car's a uh, shooter's car, if a cop's <laughs> waiting for me when, um, 
I, I go to it, I can say, yeah, I've been, I've had my eye on this vehicle the whole time. Because I know that when I go on to hunts, for an example, might be, um, you know, it's five, six, seven hours away. I mean, what what do the police, you know, duly expect when, you know, I'm you know, stop at McDonald's, either one of us stays with the car or, you know, someone's got to go and order and then, you know, I've got sight of the car or, you know, I mean, like what do they expect us just to drive, you know, nine, eight, nine hours home and not stop for it to go do a whittle or, you know, go go to the toilet or use the restroom, um, you know, switching backwards and forwards. I mean, I think it's just gone. It really is out of control at the moment. I mean, these things are just common fare in other countries. Yes, we don't want firearms you know to fall in the wrong hands but i mean when people do go into these uh, establishments or even you know they might stop at hungry jacks they want a burger um they, they they sit there they've got their eye on the car and then it becomes an issue for the police i mean you know i just see it as a bit of a waste where you know other countries again are storing you know shotguns with their you know other you know their, their, their shotgun rounds right next to it and it's just common fare it's not even an issue because you know it's not as if people i think it's never really happened in australia where there's been ammunition stored with a firearm and someone just pulls it out and starts wielding it and shooting everybody i mean it's oh, just yeah. it's 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 just a complete waste of taxpayer dollars it really well, is that's right that's right it is but uh, i can't stop them from doing it um you can just help out i can just help out and tell people you know how i think uh Precautions can be taken to avoid uh, these arguments, but you know, doesn't matter how how careful you are. There's still always a chance that you'll be prosecuted by a, a, a typically young police officer who's trying to make a name for himself. Who thinks that you know has no understanding of the conditions uh, uh, of gun ownership. Uh, and if you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if your if your number is comes up, um, you get caught up in this terrible system. Absolutely. I do have, Ross, here um, an interesting one. I'm not sure if you're going to know the answer, but um, I'll give this person um, your details, obviously. He says, um, can you please ask, uh, Ross, if someone that suffers, say, we want to talk a bit about mental illness, I guess. I'm not sure if ADHD is a mental illness or what they classify it these days uh, in regards to law. Um, Will he be considered unfit to be or an improper person to own a firearm? It all depends on what the doctor's report says. Okay, interesting. All right, so... Because, yeah, if the police get wind of that, they'll say, produce a doctor's report. And, you know, I do get people with these sorts of situations. And um, if the doctor's, if the doctor's prepared to say, I understand this condition, I've diagnosed it, and uh, in my opinion, uh, it doesn't affect his fitness uh, to handle a firearm safely, uh, the cops will likely let it go through and let yeah. the guy keep his gun license. And, then, and when filling out their license, that is definitely something they need to put down? Like when, when, when filling says, it out, you know? It says on our form here, are you suffering any condition which may affect your ability to handle a firearm? And if you take the view that it doesn't, you say no. Okay, good, good advice. Well, if, you there, said, so. if you said yes, you, you won't get your gun licence. <laughs> I mean, and, and for good reason. I mean, it's up to the police to say that the condition's a problem. Yeah, but also then that should be something. Yeah, you know, the the you know, the the prospective license holder should know whether you know you, they think they're a threat to the community. If they were, obviously, I, I presume they wouldn't be attempting uh, to get a firearms license. But also, too, I presume their um, you know doctors' reports would be you know generally you know, confidential. Yeah, uh, in, in nature, and they wouldn't be able to get access to that. But again, I urge everyone if you are going for the license, you would need to be a fit and proper person to own a firearm and not be thinking of doing anything silly with said firearm. So, mm. 
Definitely. But I mean, you know, I think it's these days they say it's easier to get one illegally anyway. So I don't know why someone would actually go through the onerous restrictions to deceive the police when it's most likely easier to get one off the street somewhere. So, yes, you know. yes, yes, that's true. Um, uh, Ross, I do appreciate your time. It was a great, great interview. Um, I know my listeners are very much going to enjoy this. But again, um, can you, first off, can you tell us what um, do you do nationwide practicing for people that may need you to travel? Do you travel? Yeah, and, I will uh, I, travel. I will travel. Um, it obviously takes time, and it um, it, it just jacks up the cost. It's got to be worth it, obviously, for the client. But the short answer is yes, I'll travel. Okay, um, and obviously for, for uh, my listeners there in WA. Um, if you, they want to get, you know, they've fallen foul of the law, they've got an issue, yep. they've been charged by police, they want Ross Williamson's attention in this matter to help them save their firearms license. Again, how do they, uh, how, how do they contact you and what, what numbers can they ring, etc., and all that sort of good stuff? Phone number 0407 I'll say that again, 0407-426-796. Webpage Firearms Lawyer, one word, firearmslawyer.net.au. Just Google Ross Williamson, Google Firearms Lawyer, uh, you'll find me that way as well. Absolutely. And again, if anyone doesn't know, you can uh, follow Ross on uh, Facebook, which is initially where I started uh, following Ross too. And he po- does post up some interesting things about you know, the laws and helping out with permits to acquire. Uh, and all that good stuff, and some of the cases uh, you know, he's dealing with, so it gives you a very good indication of uh, things that are happening in WA. Ross Williamson is a uh, lawyer uh, specialising in firearms law in WA, and he can help you. So, Ross Williamson, thanks for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, Jason. Thank you very much indeed. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time. 